Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. The principle that Paul is driving to, that he's trying to drill into our brains, is to be content in whatever circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in. To learn to be content, to learn to be okay with where we are in any situation in life. Contentment. That's an elusive feeling in our world. Isn't it strange that even in a country as prosperous as ours, contentment is still hard to come by? In fact, it seems like the more people have, the less content they are. It's almost as if contentment has nothing to do with what we have or don't have or where we are. The reality is that contentment is not something that's made at all. It's not something that can be bought or sold. Contentment is actually a decision that we make based on a gift that you have already received if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, as we continue in our series entitled Crossroads, we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul turns his attention to the overall idea of contentment. How do you learn to be content in the circumstance in which you're in? Are you married? Be content in that. Are you single? Be content in that. There's just this idea that that keeps floating around. And today, uh, we're going to move into two more examples of the importance of contentment and where contentment can and should be found. Earlier in this chapter, he's already talked about contentment as it relates to marriage and singleness. Now, as Pastor Clay is going to show us, we'll see that contentment can and should be ours, no matter what our circumstances look like. Are you ready? Let's dive in and discover why contentment doesn't have to be elusive for followers of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Clay. How many people do you know, how many people do you personally know that are actually content in their life? And before you answer that question, I mean, you go ahead and think about it, but before you answer that question, I'm not talking about how many people do you know that, that have everything they want or uh, don't want anything in their life to change. As we'll discover today, that is not the biblical understanding of contentment. That's the world's understanding of contentment that it never reaches, by the way. Uh, That's the world's understanding of contentment, but that is not the biblical understanding of contentment. The Bible has a different idea about what contentment is and what contentment looks like in our lives. If you've been in this study called Crossroads, and particularly if you've been through most of these messages in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, you... The subject I'm talking about today, this, this idea of contentment, you, if you think about it in, in terms, as we go all the way back to the, from the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, other than the instruction about sexual intimacy, pretty much the whole chapter really has been about how do you learn to be content in the circumstance in which you're in. Are you married? Be content in that. Are you single? Be content in that. Uh, it, there's just this, this idea that, that keeps floating around. And today, uh, we're going to move into two more uh, examples of of the importance of contentment and where contentment can and should be found. Now in this series, in chapter 7, we've walked through several ideas already, and uh, I'm slow walking you through chapter 7 because, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's kind of some some, uh, stuff in there in chapter 7, there's a lot of stuff uh, to talk about, and we start it about, uh, I think about three weeks ago with this idea, if you're married, stay sexually intimate as much as your spouse needs. 
uh, verses 1 through 5. You can go back and listen to that message once we have them all uh, available. Uh, they're not in our regular posting, uh, but they're going to be available to you eventually. But that was the first idea we started with. Paul talked about that in verses 1 through 5. Uh, if that's something you want to know about, go back and if you weren't here, go back and catch that. Second idea that we touched on uh, the next week was this. Uh, if you're single, stay that way if you're able. And uh, that was in verses 6 through 9. And, and we just talked about this principle of singleness. Next week, actually, he's going to come circle back around to singleness and explain why it's actually better to stay single if you're able. But we talked about what that meant and what that was and what that was not and all that kind of stuff. And then the third idea that we talked about uh, last week was if you're married, stay married if your spouse is willing. Uh, verses 10 through 16. That was uh, uh, the predominant idea that was discussed in those verses and we talked about that last week. So here this idea keeps coming up and now it's going to kind of come to fruition, if you will, uh, in 17 through 24 because we're going to pick up with this fourth idea this morning. Y'all okay? Y'all ready? Like, if you like to take notes, by the way, uh, there's an outline on the back of your uh, information sheet. If you like to do that, I encourage you to do that. If you're a believer, stay content where you are in life. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches... Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Well, he is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Father, today as we Dive back into your word here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Already so much that we've discussed about, so much that's really relevant for our lives right now. Uh, today, uh, we're looking at two examples today that are not necessarily uh, prevalent in our culture. Uh, but, Father, what I want to stress, what I want the people to understand is that the biblical principle doesn't change. And that's the truth that we need to grab a hold of. That's the truth that the Corinthian church needed for their lives, and it's the truth we need for our lives. Father God, can I confess to you that, that in our culture, it is a busy world. We're running here and there. We're doing this and that. And we've got more stuff than, than we probably ever could have imagined. And yet contentment is a rare, rare thing in this world. So teach us, from your perspective, what contentment is and how we have contentment in our lives, Father God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we dive into this this morning, let me just say that the truth is, the reality is that contentment is not something that's made at all. It's not something that can be bought or sold. Contentment is actually a decision that we make based on a gift that you have already received if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So, 
We started with this principle uh, of being content in where we are in life. And as we read that, I don't know about you, but how strange this sounds to our modern ears. Would you agree? How strange some of this sounds to our modern ears. Because Paul lists two examples there. We're going to get to both of them. Uh, and, and I'm confessing to you that we've got a lot to walk through just in this one division statement. That's all we're covering. There's a lot to walk through in that. And Paul gives these two uh, culturally prevalent examples in Corinth and in the ancient world in general. They were culturally prevalent back then. They're not culturally prevalent in our culture today. In some parts of the world they may be, but not in our culture today. The whole discussion or debate about circumcision and uncircumcision, we'll talk about what that is, slavery. Uh, they're, not, they're not culturally prevalent in our culture today. But, as I just prayed a second ago, and what I, what I hope that we all see, is that cultural, cultural practices, cultural customs, have always changed and, and always will change. And will always, in some respects, if, if I'm not part of a particular culture, that custom will, will seem strange to me. Uh, some of you heard me tell a story about uh, a number of years ago when I went to Kenya on a mission trip. Uh, we were part, taking part of what was called the Western Kenya Crusade. And we went out every day, the team, teams of us, uh, one, one uh, person and one interpreter. Went out every day and we went walk, walking through the bush, literally going from hut to hut, uh, sharing the message of Jesus Christ with anybody that would hear it, and then inviting them to come at, uh, I think it was like, come at 2 o'clock for this like, general church meeting we're going to have there, trying to found a, start a church in the area where we were in western Kenya, trying to start a church. And so at 2 o'clock, uh, come and we're going to all gather together under this makeshift shelter thing that we had, we had built, which it, always, it was always funny to me because, you know, uh, of course, you're talking to an interpreter, but you'd say, you know, come at 2 o'clock and, and everybody in the hut, you know, they're like, mm, yes. Nobody's got a watch. Nobody's got a clock. Nobody knows. But they, they just, they would come whenever. So anyway, uh, we're, we're literally walking from hut to hut down the trail. And the first day that we were out there, uh, my interpreter, a, a young uh, a Kenyan uh, young man, uh, reaches over and just takes a hold of my hand as we're walking down the trail. And, and here we go, just hand in hand, walking down the trail. Kind of freaked me out. Got to tell you, kind of freaked me out. But in, in, on the continent of Africa, or at least in Kenya, I don't know if it's the entire continent, but at least in, in Kenya, it, it, is a, it is a custom, it's a very normal thing for men to uh, hold hands as a sign of friendship. There's no, there's no another, other meaning to it. It's just a sign of friendship. I wasn't used to that custom, so it was strange to me. So, so cultural customs come and go, they vary, and, and they always will. But what I want us to understand is that the biblical principle, the overall principle, does not vary. That's what doesn't change because the God of the Bible doesn't change. And so the principle, that's what we're talking about here. Even as we're looking at these two strange examples, the principle is what doesn't change, okay? And the principle that Paul, that Paul is driving to, that he's trying to to, to drill into our brains is to be content in whatever circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in. To learn to be content, to learn to be uh, okay with where we are in any situation in life. And the reason that Paul is trying to drill this into our heads 
is because God knows. Like, God knows how you and I struggle with being content and being at peace in our life. Maybe it's just a good place to stop for just a second. Just this little, little introspective thought. Are you content in your life? Do you have contentment in your life? I know I haven't really, haven't really find it yet from a biblical perspective, but do you understand what contentment is? And would you say that you live a life of contentment? Because I will say, say this to you, God absolutely intends for you to whatever happens. And that's why, by the way, there, the, I guess the latter part of verse 17, uh, Paul says, and thus I direct in all the churches. In other words, he's saying, this is nothing new. I teach this in all the churches where I go. So the principle that we're about to get to, the principle is, uh, is something that, that is not, not based on, determined by, or held hostage by the, by the cultural situation, but it is, it is biblically directed. Okay? So with that, as I said, Paul gives these two examples let's read the first one again and uh and then pick it up from there in in verses 18 through 20 was any man called when he was already circumcised by the way uh if you're here and circumcision uncircumcision you don't i can't help you somebody else gonna have to help you was any man called when he was already circumcised he is not to become uncircumcised has anyone been called in uncircumcision he is not to be circumcised Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Okay, there are two possibilities uh, about what Paul is saying here. And I want to give them both to you because actually both could be correct. And that may sound funny, but, uh, but stay with me in this. The first possibility is that Paul is speaking, when he uses the term circumcision and uncircumcision, Paul is speaking symbolically. It's possible that Paul uses the word circumcision and uncircumcision to symbolically represent Jews and Gentiles. He's just saying, it's it's just another way of saying Jews and Gentiles. Remember, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. And so he could be speaking symbolically. And we know from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that this was something that the Jews would use to refer to non-Jews and, and to themselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly, and this is Paul writing, but he says, Remember formerly, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called, what? Who are called uncircumcision by the so-called, who? Circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. And he, and he goes on. But the point is, it, it, it is a way that the Jews, at least the Jews, would sometimes use to refer to themselves and to refer to non-Jews. It's a way to differentiate. So it's possible that he was using the term symbolically and that he's basically saying, uh, if you were were called as as a a Jew, it's okay. You You don't have to... You don't have to act like you're not a Jew. You don't have to lose your Jewish heritage because you've come to Christ. It's okay to to be a follower of Christ and to be Jewish, especially since Jesus was Jewish, huh? (laughs) It's okay to to be Jewish. Uh, Now, obviously, some of the typology has changed. Obviously, there's no need for animal sacrifice anymore and all that kind of stuff. Christ uh, did that, tore the veil, all that kind of stuff. But the idea of being Jewish, you don't don't have to change that. You don't have to to 
act like you're not uh, who you are. That, that, that's not really what matters. And listen, this is, not, this is not an insignificant point because historically, at least partially, in some way Christianity was somewhere in the midst of the start of anti-Semitism. Christianity played its role in there, or some people who represented Christianity played some role in anti-Semitism. The Jews, they're responsible for this. The Jews, they're the ones that that put Jesus on the cross. The Jews, they're they're the ones that that crucified our Savior. Of course, that's absolutely true. The Jews were responsible for the death of Jesus, but so were the Romans, and so are you and I. My sin put Jesus on that cross. So, so Paul may be saying that, hey, listen, this symbolically, circumcision, uncircumcision, none of, that, none of that matters. What matters is that you're in Christ now. That's what matters. But having said that, I also need to give you the second possibility that Paul may be saying here, and that looks like this. It is possible that Paul was not using the term symbolically, but was talking about actual physical circumcision and uncircumcision. Now, now if you're thinking, uh, okay, not, cir- not getting circumcised, I, I get that, I, that's, that's okay, I, I get that, but uncircumcision? How, how, does that, how does that work? That seems like a pretty permanent thing to me. Believe it or not, there actually was a procedure in the ancient world for, as Paige Patterson puts it in his commentary, Uh, on this passage, removing the marks of circumcision. I I think I speak for all men when I say, I don't even want to know what that involved. I don't even even want to know what that meant or how that worked. But, listen, here's the deal. Because of public bathhouses, because in the ancient Greek world, Oftentimes, athletic events were, uh, were done in the nude. Some young Jewish men attempting to hide their, their Jewish heritage in the Greco-Roman world in which we live. They had a desire to, to mask that. And, and so they, they would, some men would then do whatever was necessary to keep from exposing pun intended, uh, who they were as, as Jews. The principle is the same. None of that matters. Don't, don't worry about circumcision and uncircumcision. If you're, if you're a Jew, it, it, it's okay to be a Jew in Jesus. If you're not a Jew, and listen, we know that was a problem too. These men called Judaizers would, would follow the Apostle Paul and others around, and right after Paul left the town, they'd come into town and they'd say, hey, yeah, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, just like Paul said, but you also need to be a good Jew. You need to keep the Jewish practices, the Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised. You need to do all that stuff because God's the God of the Jews. They, you know, they justify it, rationalize it, all that kind of stuff. And, and Paul says that's bogus. All that matters is being in Christ. So, so look, look at this first argument. What he's saying is, it, it, your past... That, 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 that can't keep you from who you are in Christ. Your past events have gone on or whatever. That, that's not where contentment is found. And as I said earlier, this, this isn't anything new. This is something he taught in all the churches. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, so what's the principle? What's the principle? 
be content with where you are. You ready for the second example? All right, let's read it again. 21, 24, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you're able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. There it comes again, isn't it? Each man is to stay in that condition in which he was called. Now, again, uh, this, is, this is difficult for our modern ears to, to get a hold of this idea when he starts, begins to talk about uh, slavery. Because when we hear the word slavery, we, we almost automatically think uh, American Civil War. But the truth is, slavery has been practiced almost since the beginning of time. Uh, I would dare say that slavery has been practiced on every continent and virtually every country that has ever existed. And, and it wasn't necessarily a, a, a color thing. It wasn't a, a black-white thing or anything like that. It was an, I'm, I'm bigger than you, or I've got a bigger army than you, or I've got a bigger weapon than you, so I'm taking you for either my own use or my own profit. And, that, and that's the way it was. And listen, at the time Paul writes this, there are millions of people, millions of people, in the Roman Empire, living in slavery. Now, this text has sometimes been used uh, to promote the idea of slavery, and it's sometimes also been used to condemn the Bible, saying that it promotes slavery. Neither one of those is true. In fact, the text teaches exactly the opposite. But the point is that he's, that he's driving to, the point is, is that your status, your, your, your station, your circumstances, that, that, that isn't what matters it's living for christ in those in your status it's living for christ in your status it's living for christ in your circumstances that's what matters now y'all with me because it's going to sound it's about to sound like i'm contradicting myself that doesn't mean this concept the biblical concept of contentment doesn't mean that you cannot desire for or want circumstances to change. That's not, because, because contentment's not tied to your circumstances, left or right, good or bad, either way, that's not what matters. So having said this idea of being content in this station should be content with where he all is, as Paul says, that doesn't mean that a person cannot desire or even work toward uh, circumstances changing. When, in fact, when, when Paul says uh, there in verse 21, uh, were you called a slave? Do not worry about it. He doesn't mean, ah, oh, you're a slave, no big deal. Live with it. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he means. The, the Greek word uh, that, that is used there is meleto, uh, which, which means to, to, be a, to be a care, but with the negative participle may in front of it, it means do not let it be a care. In other words, this is the reality, right? There's millions of people living in slavery and there are thousands of slaves coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to them, don't let your condition in life so burden you, so worry you, so depress you, so frustrate you. Don't let it, the, the condition or the status of your life, the situation, the circumstance, so weigh you down 
that you're not living in the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ. Because, ladies and gentlemen, your status in this life is temporary. Your status with God is eternal. And if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your status is child of the King. Whatever you have to do, whatever your life is like. So that's really what matters. And just like that, we're, we're right back again at this concept in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Let me read it again. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. That's, that's the point he's driving home. That that's who it is. But it doesn't mean that you cannot work toward or desire for a, a uh, circumstance to change. If, 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 if God would work that way or if it's within your power to, to make some change or that sort of thing. In fact, he says um, in, uh, in the latter part of verse 21, but if you're able to become free, rather do that. So being content can't mean, hey, live with it. No, it doesn't mean, well, this, 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 let me say this. It's not just accepting your circumstance. I know, you know, maybe we have been some of those people who have accepted a circumstance, but been absolutely miserable in that circumstance. And God wants not only your acceptance, of where you, but a contentment in the midst of it. That's what God desires for you. So, here's what you need to understand. Your circumstances may change in your life, but your circumstances must never control your life. Your circumstances must never control your life. This is, this is where I happen to be. This is the... Uh, place I am in my, in my marriage. This is the place I am in my singleness. This is the place I am in my employment. This is the place I am in, in, in whatever. That may or may not change, but it cannot control your life because if it does, then, then you're not living in the reality of Christ in you. Do you understand the difference, what he's saying here? And then he goes on, and I just need to, need to mention this, and he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. If you thought, well, why? Nobody would willingly become a slave of men. Yes, actually, uh, people would in, in the ancient world. And the word that's used here for slave is doulos, which can mean slave, but it can also mean servant. And, and there were m- many people who, as strange as it may sound to you, who would voluntarily become a slave, a servant, become indentured to uh, another person uh, for, for a particular period of time to, to uh, pay off a debt, to uh, acquire uh, enough resources to to buy a piece of property. In some cases, even just because, hey, if, if, if I come up under this guy, there's a roof over my family's head, there's food in our stomachs, and, and that's better than living on the streets. And so there were actually people that were, that were voluntarily becoming indentured in certain situations. See, what we're getting to is that you and I need to learn to stay content where you are because of whose you are. That's the difference. That's the biblical concept of contentment. And so I would say to you, stop focusing on where you are in life and start focusing on whose you are in life. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the key to contentment in any situation. Stop focusing on where you are. Man, I, oh, I, I just hate this, or I, I, I wish I didn't have this, or I wish this wasn't going on in my life, or I, I wish I could find some other thing. Stop focusing on that 
That's the reality of where you are. It may or may not change. Stop focusing on that and focus on whose you are. You're a child of the king. Do you understand the love, the depth of the love he has for you and therefore the purposes and plans that he has for you that are not tied to your circumstances, your status in any way? I've, uh, some of you have heard the, the name Nick Wojcik. Uh, I've, I've shown a video before from Nick uh, about his ministry and that sort of thing. I came across an interview that Nick did with someone dealing specifically with the concept of contentment. I want you to watch this video. If, you're not, if you don't know who Nick Wojcik is, you'll, you'll find out very quickly. But Nick Wojcik was born without any arms or any legs. Watch this interview. My dad was saying that he was, you know, his head was next to my mum's head as, uh, as I was being born. And he saw my shoulder and he just went pale. And was hoping my mum didn't see me because he saw that I had no right arm. And my dad had to leave the room and he couldn't believe what he saw. And the doctor came in and my dad said, my son, he has no right arm. And he says, no, your son has no arms or legs. And he said he nearly fell on the floor. He couldn't believe it. And the whole church was mourning, you know, like why would God let the pastor's son be born that way? And my mum, at first, she didn't want to hold me. She didn't want to, you know, breastfeed me and all that. Um, she just felt very uncomfortable for the first four months. And it took them quite a while before they could trust in God that he didn't make a mistake, that he didn't forget them or me. Nick's parents gave their fear and even disappointment in their son's disability over to the Lord. They chose to trust God and his promise that he had a plan and purpose, a hope and a future for their son. But as the years passed, Nick, on the other hand, had many challenges trusting in a God that he felt gave him less. I challenged God. I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I won't probably have peace until you're in my heart, but I will not let you in my heart until you answer me why. Why did you take my arms and legs? Why didn't you give me what everybody else has? And I said, God, until you answer me that question, I will not serve you. And so I wanted to end it. If God wasn't gonna end my pain, I was going to end it myself. So at age eight, I tried to drown myself in a bathtub of four inches of water. I told my mum and dad, I'm just going to relax in the bathtub. Can you put me in the bathtub? And uh, yeah, I turned over a couple times to see if I could do it. I couldn't do it. Um, the thought that stopped me from going through with it was the love for my parents. That would be the last time Nick would attempt suicide. But it wouldn't be the last time he would come face to face with those deep issues that made him want to end the pain. Then one day, Nick's mother had him read an article about a severely disabled man. And that man's story made a huge impact on Nick. <laughs> I have a choice to either be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And my mom, she said, Nick, God's going to use you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's going to use you. And those seeds started penetrating in my heart. And that's when I started seeing that there is no point in being complete on the outside when you're broken on the inside. And I found out that God can heal you without changing a circumstance. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I read John 9 at age 15, where a man was coming through a village. And a man, um, this, this blind man from birth, Jesus saw him. People said, why was this man born that way? Jesus said it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. And I believe God breathed in me 
life and faith. This faith came over me. This peace came over me. And it was in Jesus Christ where Nick found the strength to do what many thought would be the impossible. Once we realize that when we read the Word of God and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I'm a, I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in His strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God. For somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that He didn't answer my prayer when I was begging Him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, He's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No. Whatever His will is. Because I'd rather have no arms and no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. In the last decade, Nick has shared his story in 24 countries to over 3 million people. And whether he's talking to a stadium packed with people or one single person, his heart behind the message is the same. God loves you, that he hasn't forgotten your pain he hasn't forgotten your family. And maybe while you're watching this interview, you've compared your suffering to my suffering. And that's not where hope is, to know that someone else, in your opinion, is suffering more than you. That's not where hope is. But hope is in the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is when you compare your suffering to the infinite, immeasurable love and grace of God. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength that shall mount up on wings as eagles. I didn't need my circumstance to change. I don't need arms and legs. I need the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying because I know Jesus is holding me up. Don't give up on God because God will not give up on you. Yeah, yeah, if y'all want to clap for that one, that's all right with me too. That's right. Do you know what you call that? Contentment. Contentment. William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage, says this. Paul insisted that the function of Christianity was not to give a man a new life, but to make his old life new. That's what God is in the business of doing. It's not about the circumstance, which may or may not change, as he teaches in other places, because it's not culturally restricted. Paul to the church in Philippi said this, maybe you've read these words, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Would you read that last sentence with me, please? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. By the way, the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote those words. Not the 
most uplifting of circumstances. Did he want his circumstances to change? Almost certainly. Almost certainly Paul would have wanted his circumstances to change. He wanted to be back out there on the gospel road. He wanted to be going back to those churches where he had ministered before and where he knew the enemy would be attacking. Sure, he wanted to be going out there and and still continuing the work, what he considered the work of the gospel. But even if it didn't change, he says, I've learned the secret to being content. Oh, and uh, double, by the way, as a result of that stint in prison, The Apostle Paul wrote several of the letters or books of the New Testament of which millions and millions of people have read and millions of people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and all of us have been edified and have grown in our walk with Christ as a result of those books that he wrote in this not-so-pleasant circumstance. I would say to you, it's almost as if God knows what he's doing. Romans chapter 8. We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love Him and accept His invitation to live according to His plan. Let me say a couple things real quick and then we'll close. One, I think you probably already understand this, but I'll say it anyway. Being content in whatever circumstance or situation we are in would not include remaining in a circumstance that that God would say is wrong or harmful for us or or for someone else. A drug dealer, for instance, who comes to Christ shouldn't continue to deal drugs just because they're going to have a big tithe now. You you understand? God God would want them to come out of that circumstance if if a person is able. So so you understand that. The second thing I want to say is now I want you to make this application for what he's saying here. past, whether you're a Jew, whether you're not a Jew, your current circumstances, who you are in Christ, that's what matters. Are you, are you a slave? Are you not a slave? He says if, if you're a slave, you're actually a free man in Christ. You've got you to gotta, you gotta live in that reality. And by the way, if you're a free man, you're actually a slave to Christ because you voluntarily placed yourself under his lordship in your life. No matter where you are in life, that principle of being content, saying, God is going to use me for his glory in this circumstance. I may work towards it changing. I want this, I want that. Think of the application of this for for your uh, employment. You may love your job. You may hate your job. You may not have a job. But wherever you are in this status, can God be glorified in the process of where you are? Can he be glorified in your status, in your station, in your circumstance? You may be married. You may be single. You may want to be one and not the other. You may wish you were one and not the other. But can God be glorified in your contentment in your situation? Saying, I, I, I may get married someday, or I, 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 may, I may kill my husband someday, or uh, that's going to come up next week, by the way. Um, but, but God, here I am. This is where I am at this moment in my life. I thank you because of who I am in Christ Jesus. And God, I will live my life for, to the best of my ability, for your honor and for your glory, as your spirit empowers me to be the person you've created to me to be, whether I'm a slave or a free man, whether I'm a Jew or a Gentile, whether I'm uh, in, a, in a job I like, whether my, my uh, uh, physical condition is what I want it to be, no matter what it is, God, I learned the secret to being content. I am part of the family of God. And God can use me right where I am in exactly what I'm going through, I'll say it again, it's almost as if God knows what he's doing. 
Well, I think we'd all have to admit that God clearly does not intend for our circumstances to control our contentment. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, slavery was a common practice in the ancient world. You and I probably can't think of many situations worse than being a slave, being owned by another person. And certainly, that was not what God wanted. And Paul is clear that if a person can be free, do that. But Paul also made it clear that contentment doesn't have to be bound by my circumstances, even if a person is physically bound. Realizing who we are in Christ is the key to contentment. Living for Him, His purposes, His glory, that brings a freedom that simply can't be bought or sold. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.